Hello, Marlins fans, and welcome to another episode of Swings and Mishes after what has been somewhat of an eventful week for the Miami Marlins after uh, the World Series just ended and the Boston Red Sox are now world champions with a former Marlins owner, John Henry. I'm Jeremy Taché. I'm your producer and joined, as always, by our incredible host, the one and only Craig Mish. Mish, how's it going today? Thanks, Jeremy. That was a great introduction. Yeah. I can't say that I live up to that, but thank you. <laughs> thank you for that. Maybe we'll try this winter. I don't know. Could we ha- could I can I go through another winter like last winter where it was just constant hot stove stuff back and oh forth? Oh gosh. I don't think we'll have that this year. I don't think so. I mean, all those guys are gone now. So I, I don't uh, I mean, it's diving into other teams now. I don't know that the Marlins mm-hmm. are going to have a ton of of hot stove news. They'll probably sign a few guys. And then, of course, after yesterday's development, who knows? Maybe this will be more interesting than we thought, but we'll see. Exactly. And, and yeah, you know, you were, uh, for those of you who don't know, Craig Mish was all over the Giancarlo Stanton news specifically last offseason, as well as uh, some of the Yelich and Ozuna news, everything with the, with the Miami Marlins. And that leads us directly into this offseason with the Marlins, where the number one name that's being talked about for the Marlins that could be on the move. And after his agent went on MLB network radio and said, he will be on the move. It is JT real Muto and Craig, I would love to know what you're hearing and what you think about what's going to happen with real Muto here over either the next few weeks or months or even days as real Muto could be moved from the Marlins. Yeah, it's a real interesting dynamic. I've maintained that this is the big story going into the offseason with the Marlins. Uh, I've been uh, kind of, to put it to put it this way, I've known what's been going on. I'm not surprised uh, with hearing what I heard. I just was surprised that it was yesterday I, or, or um, a couple of days ago. I, I, was, I was caught off guard uh, to hear that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, it's kind of a situation where uh, Brody Van Wagenen is the new general manager of the New York Mets and who better to talk about that than the other co-head of CAA baseball, which is Jeff Barry. Right. So Jeff Barry was asked to do an interview by MLB network radio on Sirius XM. Everyone knows that I work for Sirius XM. I'm about to start my uh, ninth year hosting on Sirius XM every single day. And he was, uh, as far as what I understand it, he was kind of uh, blindsided. Isn't the word because it's a fair question that John Morosi asked him. Uh, I just don't know that that uh, Jeff saw that coming in that interview. Uh, but he was asked the question, and he gave a very direct answer, which is basically that uh, JT still would prefer to be traded to another team and that he will not sign an extension with the Marlins. And so I don't know that the timing was supposed to be what it was, from uh, my understanding and from everything that I kind of knew was that maybe this would be up for discussion in a month from now after JT got back from his Japan trip right. and he's going to be playing with a lot of major league baseball players in the tour. there. also Don Mattingly, the Marlins manager and Freddie Gonzalez, the coach there, but here we are came out a little bit earlier than anybody would have thought. And my thought process remains the same. Uh, JT last year as reported by me, uh, requested a uh, trade from the Marlins. He was not granted one. 
And I don't blame the Marlins at that time. The offers that they had had were not satisfactory to them, and they should be getting back a lot for him. And I understand that. But here we are a year later. In my opinion, JT over the past year has given above 100% to the team. He had an all-star season. He had a baby midway through the season, continued to play very hard at a very high level, developed into arguably the best catcher in Major League Baseball. And I think is right back in that situation again. I think that he looks at the franchise, understands that they are in a building mode. It is going to be at least another couple years before this team is competitive. And at that point, he will be 30 years old. So I do think it is in the best interests of the organization and the Marlins to try and find a deal that can send him to a place where he uh, can compete to, uh, for the postseason or the World Series. And I think that if the Marlins can get back what they feel is appropriate enough in a deal, that they should try and, and work this thing out. Uh, I just don't think it makes sense if the player is not going to sign an extension, and I don't believe he will resign with the Marlins when he is a free agent to just hang on to that asset. I, I don't see the point. Uh, I don't think it makes sense. Uh, do you want to go back down a road like Manny Machado did with the Orioles? They got an okay return for him, but how much more could they have gotten had they traded him a year or two even before that when he didn't sign an extension with them? And I'm not saying that, that JT on the open market is going to get 250 or 300 million, but in my opinion, this is a player that could get a hundred million dollars from a team and a $20 million per year deal. Uh, I don't believe that the Marlins are going to offer him that contract. So that being said, because the money is not going to be what, uh, what should be for him, uh, and, I, and I don't believe that that's going to happen, uh, I would tell you, Jeremy, that if the offer was five years or $100 million, uh, then I would come here and say, hey, you know, the Marlins are doing everything possible to keep this guy. They've offered him a ton of money. Um, and, and if that is indeed the case, I would have a different take on this and I would say, Hey, come on. Like that's, I mean, they've done everything possible, but until I know that fact and until I hear that to be fact, as of right now, where we stand, I think the appropriate thing to do is engage other teams with him at this point, open up a bidding war for his services in terms of assets and players in return and try and make a trade to get him somewhere else and to get back a lot in return. That's what I think should happen. Right, and that I believe that that Machado comparison you made is actually a, a spot on in terms of making sure you're selling at the highest possible value, which is why uh, his agent coming out and saying he doesn't believe the that Real Muto, his client, will be with the Marlins was an interesting strategy. But as you said, caught a bit off guard and and sort of in a position where now uh, I guess the bidding war starts. And we'll see where things go as things escalate here. Um, that's enough on the Real Muto side of things. Uh, at the start of this podcast, we will come back to it after our interview, but we do have a very special guest today. It's Fernando Seganal, who is the Marlins Director of International Operations, uh, another former major leaguer here on Swings and Missions this week, as, as we were joined by Jeff Nelson last week. So Fernando Seganal is coming up with us in just a second. So please stick around. Thanks so much, Jeremy. A lot has changed with the Marlins, and one of the main 
topics and focuses of the franchise has been putting more money and developing in the international market. And who better to talk about that with their director of international operations, also former big league player Fernando Seganal, who joins us now here on Swings and Niches. And Fernando, thanks so much for doing this podcast today. And uh, really appreciate it. It's been a, a pretty exciting time, I know, in the international market for you guys, and we can kind of start right there. Uh, I mean, congratulations on the signing of Victor Victor Mesa and Victor Mesa Jr., and, and that pursuit ended up with a very big success for you and the Marlins, so congratulations on that. I appreciate it, Greg, for um, the talk to you guys uh, this afternoon. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, try to do a big splasher. We we're trying to send the message out that um, we're here, you know, in a new direction and trying to bring uh, the right people um, on board and, and try to you know try for us to you know do the best we can to get this community you know excited about the the new things that we're trying to do here. Yeah, I know, and it's been very active uh, all over the world in the Dominican Republic and. And the people that have been brought in to try and educate people and players and develop within the organization. I know you're a very big part of that. Uh, but for some background on you, Fernando, I've been a very big baseball fan and I've, I've done baseball radio and television for 25 years. So I'm very familiar with who you are. Uh, but I don't think that a lot of people may know, especially just kind of local Marlins fans. So, Fernando, I, I think a lot of people don't realize you played with Derek Jeter in 2003. You were also drafted by the Yankees. So was there a relationship with him at that time? Did that play somewhat of a factor of you joining the Marlins? Well, I would say that um, in 1993 is when I joined uh, the Yankees. At that time, um, you know, coming in the camp and seeing all these ballplayers and getting to know uh, most of, you know, the guys that you will see, you know, Jeter and the Posadas and the Bernard Williams of the world, you know, um, Andy Pettit. Um, yeah, we uh, we did know each other from uh, from back in the day in '94. Sure, a little um, instruction ball there. Um, I'm just actually going through, you know, what was the the core of of, of the Yankees. You know, that was gonna bring so many rings and um, to the organization. You know. Um, just the discipline, um, how they used to go about their business, um, learning the way, you know, the professionalism that you do this job and, and, and the, you know, the hard work that you put on the field. So, um, you know, relationships started uh, way back in those days. I mean, we had really good friends um, in common and, you know, Mariano Rivera, you know. So uh, then um, went out and, and did some some other stuff. I got traded in '95 with uh, Expos uh, to the Expos, and um, came back in 2003. Spent some time in um, in AAA, and then got called uh, September call up. And I'm um, sure that you know it was a wonderful, uh, I would say, experience. Just actually playing for the first time in the Yankee Stadium, you know, um, uh, that's that's kind of a dream come true there. But um, at the same time, I know I had a job to do, and um, uh, just just looking around and, and, and learning from from the best, you know, learning from those guys how they go about their business, and um, it just actually you know, made me a better player and a better person. Um, going back uh, going back to Japan after that and uh, finish out my career, but um, yeah, the relationship came from from I would say from 90, 90, 1993, uh, somewhere in there, and uh, it just you know it just kind of flourished a little bit in two thousand and three and. Um, it wasn't, I would say, um, not because of that, you know, is, is, is the reason I'm here, uh, but I did buy into 
um, you know, the, the way they were going to do things here. Um, knowing that our owner, and you know, wanted to do the things right and wanted to do the things um, uh, professional. And I know it's not going to take anything less to turn around this organization. Um, you know, it's going to be hard work. I think everybody that um, want to be here is because, uh, you know, their value as, as, as good people first, integrity, a lot of professionalism and hard work. That's, that's what we're here for, to, um, to turn around this organization and, and um, gain the respect of, of our peers outside. And, and Fernando, I, I think that you mentioned something that I want to touch on here because your connection internationally, uh, not only with some of the other countries in South America, but also in Japan, you played there for eight years. You were a star in Japan. Uh, your numbers were incredible there. And, and I don't think people realize uh, just how big you were there and kind of what you went through in that experience. So if you wouldn't mind, touch on your, your years playing in Japan and what that was like. Well, uh, I started out, you know, from day one when I signed with the Yankees in 93. Um, I wanted to be a major league player. Um, at the time, I don't know what it was going to take to do that. Just, I guess, hard work, um, dedication, and, and the passion I already had uh, for the game. So, you know, every, every year after, after a season, um, I wouldn't take a break. I would, I would go somewhere and play baseball, you know. Um, I play in Colombia, I play in Venezuela, I play in Dominican Republic, uh, for a name a few new few places. Anywhere was baseball, you know. Even though in my in my native uh, country too, in Panama, um, I went back and played winter ball. So when I got the opportunity to play um, overseas, uh, that was in 2002. Um, I, I took that offer. Um, I went over there after my years with Montreal, and um, I had a really good experience. Um, numbers wise, that year wasn't. I would say the best, but um, just from what I gained, from working, you know, playing out there in a different culture, learning the language, uh, learning the way how to play, you know, and it's, you know, it's tough after, you know, you're over here for eight years, nine years, and play out your life, you know, in a different way, and then, you know, you go over there, um, you know, you have to open up to a lot of things, not only on the field, but off of the field, you know, having, you know, family and so there was a lot of transition. So I would say, um, you know, spending eight years in, a, in you know, in the MPB league in, in Japan, uh, I think it just kind of came, you know, my professional side of it came to a war end where um, I become a better player, become a better you know, person um, just just from that, that part of it. And, you know, yes, I gained a lot of, um, you know, friends over there. You know, meet a lot of people, a lot of connections. Um, I would say with all 12 teams, uh, really good relationship that I would definitely um, use that as an advantage um, in this new position I have in this real role um, to, to gain some, some uh, you know, some edge and, and, you know, other teams as well. And, and I don't know if it was a coincidence now, Fernando, but I'm, I'm not going to chalk it up to a coincidence. I mean, your hitting coach was Gary Denbo in Japan? Is that correct? I mean, that, that can't be a coincidence. You guys must have some relationship there through the years. Is that right? Well, it's, it's funny how, you know, I think baseball is a small, it's a small word. It's, it's a small network of, of players and, and coaches and, you know, um, front office people. You know, it's, it's, we, we keep it very tight. And, and good, good people always, you know, around. They, you, you keep them around in their life. And, um, not only in the, the professional part of it, but actually in the personal part of it as well. And, um, 
uh, that's correct. I, well, I, I met uh, Dembo when I was um, a rookie, you know, in 1993. You know, just seeing his art of work, you know, the best hitting coach I've ever seen and ever had, you know. Um, uh, I did went out to uh, – I went back to Japan in 2004, and then he become um, – he was my hitting coach as well. Um, and it wasn't coincidence that it was my best year professionally, you know, speaking. I mean, you know, I came up with, you know, with uh, offensive year that, um, man, is, is, is I would have done that over here, I guess uh, I probably would have still playing a little bit, probably coming off the bench or something. But um, <laughs> it, was, it was a great time. It was just um, just a great, you know, delightful time to have uh, Mr. Gary Dembo uh, as a hitting coach, uh, full year, you know, in Japan. Um, it was a great experience there, definitely. Yeah, and then Gary's with the Yankees. Uh, you are or were with the Yankees before you uh, came to the Marlins. And I think that this part of the, the conversation, Fernando, is the tough part because you got, you're jumping in now to an organization that I know you won't say it, but I'll say it, didn't really value these types of players internationally. Uh, they just they didn't do it. How do you guys do it? And, Fernando, how does your experience – uh, kind of incorporate finding these types of stars because the Yankees didn't need to even really rebuild. They just reloaded with all these young players and Aaron Judge, and, and they got it done, Fernando. How do the Marlins do that? Well, it is a work in progress. You know, that's, that's what we're um, trying to do here. So um, for your question, yes, we are, you know, trying to you know, build that foundation here. Um, I know it's, it's, it's a lot of value. Um, in the Latin community, in the Latin players, um, just basically going from, you know, Venezuela, the Dominican Republic, you know, Colombia, Nicaragua, Panama, you know, there's, there's, you know, Mexico, um, trying to, you know, reestablish, you know, or, you know, interest again in, in, in these, uh, you know, these players, I think is, is going to bring a lot of value and a lot of excitement through our organization. Have you found, as a follow-up to that, Fernando, have you found, because you use the word re-engage, have you found what everyone seems to say is that uh, you, when you're talking to these people and trying to re-engage the Marlins organization, that maybe these people are saying to themselves, like, wow, like, this is nice. Where have you guys been for the last, uh, you know, 10, 10, 15 years? I don't know if that's even a fair question, but certainly I would wonder what that experience must be like with you walking through the door and them saying, Oh, okay, well, it's good to have you, good to have this organization back again. Well, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, this kind of, you know, once to start, you know, going out and, and traveling to these countries, uh, you get a little tired of a surprise, you know, the Marlins is actually at our academy today and are we actually at an event, you know, where, you know, in years past, it seems like um, we wasn't as heavily involved with these, um, you know, with these academies or with the events, you know, international events. So uh, the fact that, um, I, you know, I got a good relationship with who could say um, many trainers or, or coaches now that play with, with me in my era, you know, I, I think it's refreshing to see those guys and reconnect with, uh, with these guys who are now either, you know, trainers, managers, you know, head of uh, winter league, you know, teams, you know, so, you know, just, just by getting, getting a, a sense of 
you know, where they all are and they're just kind of, you know, keeping in, in the loop and letting them know we, we are interested, you know, we're open, like all you say, open to business, open to seeing all the players that they have, um, just making myself available. I think that's, um, that's, that's kind of a refreshing for them for, for the, you know, international market now. So we've been getting a really good uh, response and, 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 you know, very interest uh, in, in all those uh, academies and, you know, owners around, you know, international operations. Yeah. And it makes sense. I mean, South Florida is the international gateway and yet for many years it wasn't taken advantage of. Okay. So uh, well, let's move on, uh, Fernando, to some players and some names that fans that are listening to this of the Marlins should get to know that maybe, you know, that we don't, or maybe just some players that are flying under the radar internationally that we're not familiar with the, the one name that we know by now fernando is devers uh because obviously he was involved uh in the trade and certainly he's very well thought of and brought up very often by uh michael hill and gary denbo and, and others in the organization and he's an international type player who uh, the marlins feel in a couple of years will be able to make an impact at the big league level uh you could start with him and if there's any other names of players that we should be having uh, a close eye on maybe on the backfields in Jupiter in the spring or even in the Dominican Republic or anywhere else. I'd love to know. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, Devers, I would say, uh, he's an exciting player, you know, coming up through our organization. He's going to be, um, one of the top guys, you know, we got to follow, um, speed and his bat. I mean, I think he's very athletic, good actions. I mean, he was a, he's a kid that, um, we are excited about in this organization right now. Um, I would say that this kid, you know, his makeup alone just kind of give us, you know, a really good um, path to, you know, what is uh, our future looks like. It's, it's bright down here. Um, these guys are working very hard um, to, you know, to be, to be, you know, someone, to be some somebody that could um, help, you know, our organization, you know, going forward. So definitely, that's a really good name. You, know, you come up with. Um, I'm getting to know these players right now as we speak. It's not um, players that I went out and actually um, acquired, but they was already here once um, once I got here. So, you know, looking around in the backfield and, and seeing these players, I mean, uh, it, give, it give us a good vibe to where um, our direction is, is tending to. Fernando, uh, last question for you, and, and this is maybe more of a, a general question. But uh, your role in the organization is, is very obvious and very important in the uh, international market, and you're the director of international operations. Uh, what, will, what will this offseason look like for you, the next four or five months uh, before spring training begins again in February for people who are kind of sleeping on baseball in the hot stove and they're chasing around you know, the free agents and who's going to get traded and who's going to get signed? What are the Marlins doing behind the scenes internationally that that you can talk about with us so we know? Well, I would say that um, international market, um, we, never, we never sleep. We never stop. is <laughs> um, a 12-month, you know, non, 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 you know, just going. I'm um, excited. You know, I'm, I'm very, you know, happy that I've taken this role and, and trying to help, you know, in any way possible, you know, to restore what we have uh, left behind in, in the international department. But um, to just give you a sense of what's been happening and what's going to happen in the next four, four to five months, um, as we speak, I'm scheduling um, events, you know, international under 
under 18, whether it be in Panama, we've got to be targeting some guys out there. I'm not sure they're going to be on that trip to um, to Japan where um, the you know MLB All Stars will be playing the best of the best out there in Japan for you know the next six days. So that's um, I will be heavily involved in that, watching their their best players out there. And um, it's just it's just a continuity of events um, international that's going to be happening. Um, just scheduling other scouts. Um, our scouts go out there and, and watch the players and, and uh, build build on reports and make sure we find the next you know best international players uh, possible for you know to inject in this organization. Well, Fernando, as we go, I got to tell you one thing: it's unacceptable to not get the best players from Panama onto this team, into this franchise. If that doesn't happen, I'm coming for you. I mean, you got this is, this is your market; it's your country. I, I would imagine. We will see some of those players coming over with your knowledge and expertise in your homeland, certainly. Uh, thank you so much for spending some time. I know uh, that we have familiarity going back to, to spring training and days like that. Uh, congratulations on now being part of the organization now for almost a year. Congratulations on assisting with the signing of Victor Victor Mesa and Victor Mesa Jr. We look forward to speaking to you again, uh, certainly as, as time goes on and finding out more about how the Marlins are uh, really heavily involved in the international operations. Thanks again, Fernando. Appreciate it. Well, I appreciate it, Craig. Thank you very much for the opportunity and um, anytime, man. I'm just you know, bring back some news for you guys. Awesome. Thank you, Fernando. Have a great one. The NBA season is in full swing. College football's got a huge game Saturday night. Alabama and LSU. The line right now on BetDSI.com. Alabama minus 14. It's been going back and forth. 14, 14 and a half. Man, it is a great place to check all the lines and bet all the games. That's BetDSI.com. They'll match your first deposit up to $2,500. You have to use the promo code from our podcast, SWINGS101. That's S-W-I-N-G-S 101. Put it in there. Get up to $2,500 matched on your first deposit. And you can bet on anything. You can bet on the NBA, college football. If you got college basketball starting up here in less than a week, there's some huge games in the NFL. Sunday night, you got Green Bay and New England. You got the Rams and Saints. It's going to be a great weekend of football. Get on your phone. Get on the computer right now. Just type in BetDSI.com. Make your first deposit. Use promo code SWINGS101. You're off and running. Make some money this weekend. There's only one place to bet, and it is BetDSI.com. Thank you to Fernando Seganal for joining us. Great stuff as always. And, and, and Craig, brief reaction to what we just talked about with, with Mr. Seganal? I, I think he's a huge hire for the Marlins. I think that this is one of the great uh, minds internationally. He has so much experience being over there. Great experience with the Yankees uh, as, as both a big league player and an international scout. Uh, as I've talked about during the interview, I've attended spring training in Florida for 20 years. And now that there's two parks locally here, uh, one is, of course, Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium in Jupiter, and the other is Fit Team Ballpark in Palm Beach. And for years, when there was just a Roger Dean Stadium over the last, let's say, decade, Every game behind home plate, you knew exactly where Fernando Seganal was. I'd ride up in the elevator with him. He'd be sitting behind home plate. A very sharp individual, and I commend the Marlins in a big way for that hire. I think he's going to make a very big difference internationally with this team. And that's exactly what we hope to see. Uh, Moving forward here as we wrap things up on this episode of Swings and Mishes, we had 
Uh, a fun little interactive thing on social media this past week where we asked you guys, the listeners, to respond to us on Twitter using the hashtag swing or mish, uh, actually a game that Craig played with some of our uh, interviews early right. on uh, during the process of this this podcast, some of the earlier. We got to bring that back. I don't know. I forgot about that. Yeah, that, that was a fun one. We could maybe yeah. we could bring it back in, in a future episode. Uh, but a few of you did respond with some really good questions. Um, the first one, we'll wrap back to the the first part of our podcast and talk about JT Romuto. And it was it was Poldy Anslinger. I apologize if I I butcher anyone's names. I I, I am known to do that. Uh, but Poldy asked. Uh, First of all, he complimented the pod, so thanks a lot Thank for you. that. Um, appreciate that. But he asked if we could talk about that Real Muto news, which we sure. did. But more about teams that, that you might see as a fit and what packages could get it done in a, in a realistic way and what, what you believe to be a realistic package for someone like JT Real Muto. Yeah, and I want to uh, circle back to the beginning of the podcast where I mentioned about uh, his agent, Jeff Berry, uh, mentioning – that he believes that JT uh, will be, should be traded by opening day. Again, part of this is also consider the fact that uh, when JT last offseason mentioned the idea that it would be better off if he was on another team or that that could be worked out, it happened very late, Jeremy, in the offseason. Right. So the other thing that could factor in here now and again, I don't know this is fact. This is, some is fact with me, but some is speculation. This is kind of speculation because I didn't really get into this, is that if you're going to do this and you want your client moved, why wait till December, you know? Like, why not get the ball rolling now? Uh, I did think that this would happen. I did. I, didn't, I thought it would be in two weeks. I didn't think it would be earlier this week. And so that's kind of what I was prepared for. So I kind of had to jump in a little bit. And now I'll have to be really active on this more than I thought. I thought that I had a couple of weeks here, but now I don't. Yeah, no vacation. Uh, so, so I think that that's, that's a part of this too. That's a part of this too, is why wait? What is the point? If you know that your, your client wants out, you know that he wants to be on another team, uh, why? And maybe this is giving the Marlins a head start, knowing that, hey, look, he's not signing. So you may want to, start on November 1st as opposed to December 1st. Because remember, last year with his trade uh, request, which wasn't really a request, it's just a, a preferred, which I reported, uh, it happened much later on. And so this gives the Marlins a head start. Now, uh, and I wanted to mention that at the top of the podcast, but uh, I wanted to make sure we give Fernando his full time. And thank you, Fernando, for doing it. Uh, in terms of teams, so we have uh, the Astros, who I feel are the best fit. And, and I think that when push comes to shove, I will not have the mind, the analytics, and the intelligence of Mike Hill, Derek Jeter, Gary Denbo, Dan Greenlee. I don't have it. But when I look at the Astros organization, and this is a team that I'm with every spring training, Jeremy, and I see these guys on the backfield, and if you listen to my show on SiriusXM, I've called their stars several times. Again, that doesn't put me in a position to be in a Major League Baseball organization to make trades. <laughs> this is the team they should be dealing with. They are loaded. They have offense. They have aces. They have potential aces. They cannot go wrong with Houston. In addition to that, if I was the Marlins, and I'm not, and I knew that I could not retain JT, part of my negotiation with these other teams would certainly be, do you want a 24-hour window to speak to this man to see if you can extend him? And then if you can, does that change the deal? Can we get more in the case that you know that you've 
bought him out from those two years. I think that's a very important part of this factor. I don't know, Jeremy, if that happens, for example, with the, I'll just throw a team out, the Baltimore Orioles, okay? And they're not even in the discussion here, okay? I'm just using that as an example. I don't, I mean, I don't think JT would look at this and go, wow, I'm in Baltimore now. Perfect. Let me sign that four- or five-year deal. But if you put him in the right spot, maybe that's part of this. And teams can be granted a window of time to negotiate that. Again, complete speculation on my part. I just think that that should be part of the conversation. The Braves are loaded. I think they're a potential fit. Uh, I think the Nationals have to be engaged again. They were engaged now for a year and a half or two years on this for sure. And then you throw out some other team names like the Brewers who uh, may have some potential interest in there and Yelich is there, obviously. The Rockies are in need of a catcher. And then uh, they're, you know, the Dodgers potentially could come into play. And don't let's not discount the Yankees, who I discount every year, and they end up getting right. all the guys. I so, was just about to ask about that. <laughs> so maybe the Yankees too. I don't see Gary Sanchez coming back to the Marlins and being their catcher, but certainly that's up for the discussion. I think all of those teams, and again, we're so early on in this process, and I, was, and I actually have a tweet ready for the percentage meter on Real Muto. Okay. I think I'm going to do it. I'm not ready yet for it, but all those teams that I mentioned are more or less the ones that I think. And who knows? Maybe, maybe some other team will jump in in the end and, and end up making this trade. I do think, and I hope, uh, a trade gets worked out because I do think it is the best for both parties, but I certainly understand uh, both sides of the situation. The Twitter machine is ready to go. I'm, I think it's I'm almost ready. ready. I have it ready. I it's have ready. it ready. Yeah. It's ready uh, to just, be fired Just to give you an anymore. example, it's, uh, you know, the percentage of, of returning to the Marlins mm-hmm. as opposed to like four or five other teams and then the field. You know, I'm, I'm getting ready for it. I'm going to uh, wait a couple weeks on it, though. I love it. I love it. That that that's my type of content right there, and and <laughs> and, and the that's way, the best I can offer. The best thing that we could do at at this moment, uh, only on swings and misses. Uh, so going forward, you know, you just talked about all the teams that that Ramuto could end up with. That would be a big off season acquisition. Uh, for those teams, should Real Muto leave, obviously there will be a lack of major league level talent with the Marlins. Yes, there uh, will. They, they our, let go of Brian Holiday. I didn't like that earlier yeah. this, earlier I, last week too. I, I didn't thought really Holiday understand did a really move. good job. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I guess I guess it was a forty man move, so to speak. And uh, I think Brian Holiday be open to returning, but he has to do what's in his best interest, which is at least shop himself around. And with the lack of hitting and depth there is at catcher, I, I would assume that he would get a major league offer for some team to go to spring training. But if not, and the Marlins want to invite him back on a minor league deal and, and nothing else is out there, I mean, maybe at that point he would take it. But I was surprised by that one because if they do move uh, Real Muto, then you're left with Wallach and Holiday. That's, that's not a lot. Right. And uh, that actually leads us perfectly into the next question. Uh, from one of the listeners, and it's actually someone within our network, our own Alejandro Villegas from Cinco Rizonis. Uh He asked, Swinger Amish, uh, which free agents will the Marlins likely pursue? You know, who were the Marlins going to go after, especially, you know, if, if JT does end up being traded, who could you see the Marlins going after this offseason? You know, there was an interesting name, and, and I want to give credit to Sports Illustrated for putting together, I think, their top 50 names, SI.com, in terms of that. And I don't know that the Marlins will be in on any of them, but the two names that I kind of find interesting on, on, a, on somewhat of a budget are as follows. 
the first name is Marwin Gonzalez of the Astros. Mm. Uh, I don't know what he's going to command. He's very valuable to Houston. But he could serve as not just like a leadership role, but also someone who can play first base, third base, left field. And and the Marlins kind of have holes in in a lot of these different positions offensively. And he does provide 20 to 30 home run power. I know he struggled at the beginning of the season, but he checks a lot of boxes for me with, you know, kind of that, that everyday type player that can play all over the diamond, I would think that this is going to be a eight to ten million dollar a year type player, three years, thirty million. Maybe I'm even low, very low there, but he's one. The other name that I could see out there uh, in terms of a bullpen is Bud mm-hmm. Norris. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bud Norris, the Marlins are going to need somebody, uh, a veteran, I think, like they had with Ziegler, and now the Bear Claw is gone for the ninth inning. And this is just a strict Jeremy mercenary type player that would come in, get saves for the first half. And then they would trade kind of like Fernando Rodney type. Um, You know, Norris, I thought did a really good job for the first half of last season when he was asked by the Cardinals to come in because Greg Holland was, was a disaster in the first half. And I thought Norris did a great job. And I would wonder on a one year deal of a few million, if he couldn't be a leader in that clubhouse, kind of showing the young kids how it's done. I know there was some discussion uh, last year that some people didn't like it or whatever, but I I just feel like he would be the kind of guy that would come in, kick some ass in the ninth, Hmm. and then get traded in July. So those are kind of two interesting names that I saw out there. And by the way, this is all complete speculation with no facts. Perfect. I did see, uh, I think someone put out the Bovada odds on... Uh, some of the yes. bigger free agents, yes. and for whatever reason, the Marlins were, had the fourth. I have no idea why on Machado. Yeah, I have no yeah, idea. Why. Not a clue why that would. And be. not a clue. And not a clue. And and that's not happening. And right, they, they could have put a hundred to one. Right, it, on it, that. they're not paying Manny Machado too. They're not paying anybody two hundred and fifty million dollars right now. It wouldn't make sense even for the franchise to to attempt to do it. I mean, you don't you don't put an MVP type player on a team that's going to lose close to 100 games or they would have just kept Christian Yelich. Right. That just doesn't make any sense. It's about timing your investments properly. Um, You mentioned Marwin Gonzalez. He's sort of a utility player, Bud Norris on the mound. Uh, Another question that we had was from Vic Marlins at VIK Marlins. Uh, First baseman options in 2019. You know, uh, we've seen a lot of Peter O'Brien stuff floating around the internet. I think Fish Stripes had a little bit of that. Um, What do you think might happen at first base and uh, who might, merge into a bigger role on this team in 2019 i think that he'll get a crack at it o'brien i could also see them bringing in like lucas duda Mm. or or logan morrison type player i don't know that lomo is is an option but that's kind of the the idea it's almost like bringing another boar back to a degree right i know that's not the marlins way of doing things now they're looking for athletic guys and and players that could play offense and defense but they'll have to take also a hard look at that lineup and and make maybe a defensive sacrifice at one position just to have someone with a threat of hitting a home run. And if they do move JT, then really what are you looking at? I mean, you really don't have anybody that can hit 20 home runs unless you think Brins- maybe Brinson could do that. But mm-hmm. either way, I, I think that the, the corner position, either first or third, has to be upgraded with some power. I know that they hope that Prado can come back, and that's certainly fine but you can't count on that at this point. So you can count on Prado being a great clubhouse leader. You can count on him uh, showing up and working hard every day. 
but I think that he'd be the first one to tell you is he's been riddled with injuries the last couple of years and counting on him to play 162 is not wise. I will say as growing up a Marlins fan, other than Juan Pierre, Logan Morrison is actually my favorite Marlin of all time. Oy. So to see, yes, I know <laughs> that's exactly the response you should have. Yeah. Logan I don't know Morrison, about that one. Logan Morrison. I understand at the time, uh, he was one of my favorites to ever put on a Marlin uniform. I would love to see him back. Yeah, I, I, think, I think what would be important, and I know that some of the Marlins that listen to this, I, I think what would be important from a Marlins perspective would be, and, and they've been a lot more transparent and candid with some of the things that are going on. I'm, I'm not, I would not be asking the Marlins specifically, hey, who you're going to sign what I think would be important for fans to know is kind of like what are the holes that need to be patched up? Mm. Uh, what are the temporary solutions uh, in some sort of press conference or some sort of interview type way where we could get an idea as to the types of guys or players that they're looking? Is it a bat? Is it bullpen? And there's really nothing wrong with that. Every GM and every right. team gives you an idea of what their needs are. We're not asking for the names and how much you're offering the players. But I do think we're close enough to kind of getting an idea of, of what they are interested in. And maybe they will tell us, Jeremy, that O'Brien is the starter and they're going to give him a chance to start. Okay, well, that's fine. You know? And then we can either agree with that or we can criticize that as members of the media. But without really knowing anything, uh, it's, it's very hard to say right now. I'm going to guess over the next month we'll get a better idea. Yeah, you just want to know the approach. Uh, the last question comes from at Superman2715. Uh, this is more off the field stuff. Okay. It's, it's coming up uh, on November now. We're releasing this November 1st. And this is when we're supposed to know about some of the new things when it comes to the logo or the uniforms or the stadium. Uh, he just wants our thoughts on what could be possible logo uniform stadium renovations when it comes to this franchise. I don't know what information you might have, what you don't have, what's out there. Uh, but when it comes to the logo uniform and stadium, any thoughts? Yeah, I think it's it's going to be cool to know. I really don't have any insight other than the stuff that I've posted and seen so far. I don't blame the Marlins at all for doing what they're doing, moving the statue, changing the uniforms, changing the ideas. It's it, it needs to be fresh. It needs to be new. I'm in complete favor of anything new and getting rid of the old. Uh, history is important. It's important for every franchise. They won a World Series in 97. They won a World Series in 2003. There have been some really cool and fun players along the way. Uh, I'm, I'm going to let the Marlins do their job here with, with releasing their own info on it. If I get anything prior to it, of course, I'll, I'll scoop it or I'll put it out there. But for the most part, I think that this is really important for the franchise to make these announcements and do this the way that they want to do it. Um, and, and I'll just wait, Jeremy, until that happens. Agreed. Can't wait to see what uh, what changes might be made on on all fronts. Uh, but that's all we got here on Swings and Mishes. Thank you again to Fernando Seganal for joining us. Um, you can look forward to more episodes of Swings and Mishes coming forward in the in the next few weeks. Um, I know we've got some things cooking for possibly the winter meetings. Uh, Craig, thank you again for another great episode. All right. Thanks, Jeremy. We'll uh, roll out another couple. We'll take a break for Thanksgiving. And then, of course, uh, it's on to the winter meetings. Sounds good. Thanks, everyone.